Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is More Than Meets the Eye, Part 3, Timelines. Uh, it's a grievous error on my part to try to wade into the chronology of the Bible, but we shall go forth boldly, shall we not, friends? Um, the timeline, Scripture is full, as I'm sure you've seen, of uh, references to, to time. So many years elapsed, and this was in the such and such year of so and so being king, and all that kind of thing. And uh, the fact is that scholars have turned inside out trying to get a coherent chronology out of this, and it just can't be done. You can, you know, you, you can never, there's just pieces that won't fit in. And uh, I want to look at a particular piece of chronology tonight, the very, very, uh, famous and well-known story of Amram and Jochebed. So I invite you to join us for that. Let's open with a prayer. Shall we, good friends? <laughs> Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together in your name. You are the one God of heaven and earth, and you are the Word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us tonight, Lord, as we open the pages of your word and try to see what's going on with time in Scripture. Amen. Amen. Sending love out to all of you who are online there and getting the phone feed and the audio feed and here in the room. What a blessing to be with everybody talking about important but uh, bizarre things. Okay, well, this interesting story of Amram and Jochebed, well-known, well-known, famous story, as, as you know, good friends. And uh, so where to begin? Why don't we start with Exodus chapter 2? So this is the second book of the Bible, all the way to the left there. And... Um, Although it doesn't name them, this is about Amram and Jochebed. Exodus chapter 2 at the beginning. At the very beginning. Thank yes. you. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. Yes, this is the story. Amram and Jochebed turn out to be Moses' parents. So the, he, they are not very well known, but they lead to a very well-known story in Scripture about Moses who led the children of Israel out of the wilderness and so on. And uh, it is curious that it identifies them here only as a man of the house of Levi who married a daughter of Levi. Okay, now the word daughter uh, in, in, in Hebrew can have some extension. You know, we, we may talk about daughters of the revolution or what, it, you know, it doesn't literally mean that you're exactly 20 years younger than whatever, but, but, the, um, but it seems from other passages like we should be taking this literally that this was a daughter of Levi, a man of the house of Levi who married a daughter of Levi. Let us turn to Numbers. So go to the right and go through Leviticus to Numbers chapter 26, where it tells us a little more about this. And, um, okay, uh, let's start in verse 57, because this will give our reader some helpful exercise. Wait a minute, which book? Numbers 26, oh, sorry. Uh, After was, Leviticus, you get to Numbers before Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Sorry. Numbers 26, verse 57. Again, this is talking about the family of Levi. Levi was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And these are those who were numbered of the Levites, according to their families. Of Gershon, the family of the Gershonites. Of Kohath, the family of the Kohathites. Of Marari, the family of the Mararites. These are the families of the Levites the family of the Libnites, the family of the Hebronites, the family of the Maalites, the family of the Mushites, 
and the family of the Korathites. It's so important that this information was preserved. Go on. <laughs> and Korath, Kohath, sorry, begot Amram. Oh, here he is. Here's Amram. So Kohath begat Amram. Okay. Go on. We're at Numbers 26, verse 59. The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed. There the, she is. The daughter of Levi. Oh, well, it says again. She's a daughter of Levi. Who was born to Levi in Egypt. Uh-huh. And to Amram, she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. Oh, okay. So, pretty famous characters in the Old Testament that Amram and Jochebed bore Aaron and Moses and Miriam, their sister. Okay, thank you. And uh, let's see... Uh, Look at verse 62. I just want to read this here. 62. Because this is continuing about the Levites. We're still in the section on the Levites. Okay. Now those who were numbered of them were 23,000, every male from a month old and above. Aha, uh -huh. every male from a month old. So they, they weren't counting the females or whatever, but from the males, just from one month old to any later age, there were 23,000 Levites at this time. Go on. For they were not numbered among the other children of Israel because there was no inheritance given to them among the children of Israel. Mm. These, keep going. Uh, no, no. That, that's, that, that's good right there. Okay, okay. so um, I'm writing joke about it. Okay, the little problem that we have here uh, is that Levi, okay, you have Abraham. He's the patriarch kind of thing, right? And his son is Isaac, and Isaac's son is Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons and one daughter, and among the 12 sons, there's Reuben, Simeon, Levi. Levi is the third in the birth order, and we're talking about the family of Levi. So Moses is descended from Levi. The little problem here with the timeline is that Levi was born before they went down to Egypt. And uh, if you read elsewhere, it's clear that Levi's son, Kohath, was also born before they went to Egypt. But Jochebed, it says elsewhere, was born after they went to Egypt. So right on that, you know, somewhere on that cusp of, of when they went down to Egypt. Now, so that raises the question, how long were they in Egypt? Let's look at, um, uh, let's look at, Exodus chapter 12 for that. So turn to the left and go back to Exodus 12. Uh, is this what we want? Okay, verse 40. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. Oh, so the children of Israel used to live up in the Holy Land. Then they went down to Egypt and we were just told they were there for 430 years. And Levi was born before that event. But Moses, when was Moses born relative to that? Isn't he the one who said, let my people go? He was at the end of that 430 years. Levi was at the beginning. And Jochebed, his mother, is the daughter of Levi. At, uh, as far as I can tell, Jochebed was 154 years old when Moses was born, uh, which is kind of amazing, you know, as far as you can put the timeline together, but you can't, you can't really get it together. Let's look at another passage here. Look at Exodus chapter 6. Turn to the left and go back there. All right. Exodus 6, verse 18. Okay, let's start at verse 16. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi were 137. Now, another thing about timelines in Scripture is that people are said to live extraordinary lengths of time in the Old Testament. You know, and this was before modern medicine. It's really amazing. They were living for hundreds and hundreds of years. So some people have questioned that information. Uh, go on. The sons of Gershon were Libni and Shimi, according to their families. And the sons of Kohath were Amram, 
Ezhar, Hebron, and Uziel. Nice. And the years of the life of Kohath were 133. Okay, he lived a long time also. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. These are the families of Levi according to their generations. Mm. Here we go, drum roll. Now, Amram took for himself Jochebed, his father's sister, as wife. Oh, Jochebed was Amram's aunt. She was his father's sister. His father was Kohath and Jochebed. So you had Levi, you have Kohath and Jochebed are in the same generation. And then Kohath has a son, Amram, and Amram's aunt is, Jochebed, is, is also his wife. So Moses' mother was also his great aunt. Right? Okay. And uh, go on. And she bore him Aaron and Moses. Okay, this is the same one. Now, sometimes in Scripture you'll have things where it'll say one name in one place or it'll say one thing in one place, another thing in another place. You can't ever reconcile them in that way. But this particular story is quite consistently told that Amram married his aunt and that's where Moses and Aaron and Miriam came from. That, that's, that's how that happened. Let's just finish out that verse there. And the years of the life of Amram were 137. Interesting, he lived exactly the same length of time as his grandfather Levi who was also his father-in-law, wasn't he? Because he married his aunt or something. Anyway, okay. Um, all right, so it's kind of hard to deal with this. Uh, let's go back to Genesis 15. I know you were thinking of it already, friends. Genesis 15. Uh, Abram, we talked a few weeks ago about strange stories that suddenly intervene in the text. Here's another one in, in Genesis 15, verse 12. And here's Abram, who was the patriarch, you know, before all these other people we were talking about. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. It's a little different than the 430, but it's, but it's 400, and it's very specific. They're actually going to be in slavery and affliction for 400 years, it says. And that other passage says 430 years. I don't know. I just feel moved to go to, I think it's 1 Kings 6, verse 1, isn't it? Let's see. <laughs> Is that what I want? Yes, 1 Kings 6, verse 1. And it came to pass in the 480th year, after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Zeev, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. So it's quite precise anchoring in time. And we happen to know from archaeology and so forth when that temple was built. So all you have to do is go back 480 years and you get when they came out of the land of Egypt, add another 400 or 430 and you get, you know, you get to go back in the timeline. The problem is that it doesn't work at all. If you go back the, the 480, I believe you get to 1444 before the Common Era. And, um, and there are various problems with that as a date for the Exodus, for the coming out of Egypt. And you can read about these online if you want to just read about the Exodus. If memory serves, uh, one minor problem is that the whole nature of the story is that the children, the whole, if you had to summarize it, boil it down, the elevator pitch version, uh, the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, they came out and uh, they traveled to the Holy Land to the land of Canaan in order to escape from their slavery in Egypt. The little problem is that in 1444 BC, Canaan was part of Egypt. There was no separate Canaan. They would have been fleeing from Egypt to go to Egypt. So, if they left in 1444 BC, they would have traveled for 40 years in the wilderness in order to come back into Egypt. It doesn't make sense. So about 100 years ago, people were trying to adjust this 
200 years to get into the time of Ramses II because it made more sense that it might have happened about like 1200 uh, BCE. But uh, that now more and more archaeological evidence has come to light and that has totally collapsed. That doesn't work at all. You're off by about a thousand years. Like they can't place the exodus within about a thousand. You're off by a millennium. You know, the time just totally does not work. So, um, and it's interesting to think about. So the scripture emphasizes that it's 430 years in slavery and at the beginning of it is one person and he has a daughter whose son is the guy who leads them out 430 years later. So you see what I mean? There's a little bit of a continuity problem with, with the timing. A bit of an issue. Um, okay, so let's, uh, let's read a few more scriptures that are related to this. Um, mm -hmm -hmm. Okay, Numbers chapter 3. There's some other fun things about the Exodus that get into other sort of numbers. So, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 3 tells us, if you look at Numbers chapter 1, verse 1, you see that the whole setting is in the wilderness of Sinai, when, when they go to Mount Sinai. So they've just left Egypt, they're in Sinai, and that's where they are. So by then... In chapter 3, let's look, look at verse 1 there. In chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> now these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. Okay, so this is timing it to the point at Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments were given. This was the state of play with the house of Levi. And uh, so, um, he num look in verse 14. He says in verse 15, Number the children of Levi according to all their houses, every male from a month old and upward, number them. So Moses numbered them as he was commanded to do. Um, oh, I can't find the reference right now. There's, there's somewhere in here where they are absolutely forbidden to do exactly what they're doing here. A little bit earlier it said, By no means number the Levites. And mm -hmm. then a chapter or two later it says, Number the Levites. You know, you, you have to do that. Uh, let's look at one, is it 147? Uh, chapter 1, verse 47 says, The Levites after the tribe of their fathers were not numbered among them. Look at verse 49 in 1. Chapter 1, 49. Oh, dee do dee do dee do How about verse 48? 48. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying... Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. Yes, don't count them. So by chapter 3, verse 15, the Lord says, number them. So, so they number them, don't know what that's about. And uh, so you'll see some familiar names there in verse 17. Mm -hmm. Levi's three sons, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And then they break it down. There's in 19, the sons of Kohath. Amram, there he is, right? Mm -hmm. Ishar, Hebron, Uziel. They break down the families there. And um, so that, this is the genealogy of Moses. And look over in verse 27. This is all at the time that they are at Sinai. From Kohath came the family of the Amramites. So Amram wasn't just by himself. There was enough of Amram's family that you could call them the Amramites. You know, I don't know what the legal limit is before you get to have ite on the end, but, but the Amramites, you know, there was enough of them uh, that they could be called that. Go on. Uh, from Kohath came the family of the Amramites, the family of the Ezharites, the family of the Hebronites, and the family of the Uzielites. Okay, and these, how many of these Kohathites were there? According to the number of all the males from a month old and above, there were 8,600. Okay, so there were 8,600 descendants of Kohath. Kohath, Amram, and at the time that they're at Mount Sinai, there was always, already 8,600 members of just that subfamily of the Levites, and didn't we just read, did we read that there were 23,000 Levites? 23,000, so the whole family was 23,000, this subset was 8,600, right? At the time that they were at Sinai, 
before they'd done all the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and then Moses comes along and let my people go. As they leave, uh, when they leave, um, I think it says here somewhere how many people there were um, out of all the people. They numbered them all. Oh, I think it's toward the end of this chapter that they give. Here's the number. 1, verse 46, right before what we just read. Numbers 1, verse 46. This is how many children of Israel there were. But the Levites were, uh, all who were numbered were 603,550. 603,550. Okay, and these were, in verse 45, the people who were 20 years old and older. So there were 603,550 people, uh, just the males from 20 years old and older, of the children of Israel at this time. Uh, scholars estimate that that would mean a crowd of 2 million people that was leaving Egypt. The entire population of Egypt at the time was about 3 million people. Uh, so this would be a huge exodus. If you just took all those soldiers and you lined them up 10 abreast, they would form a marching line 150 miles long. And the journey that they were taking was about 300 miles long. Like, they would be halfway there when they started. You know what I mean? They, they would, like, it's a huge number of people everywhere they camped. You know, there's no archaeological sign of, of, of two million people camping at the base of Mount Sinai, which you would leave, you know, two million people leave a little bit of trash, you know, even back then. Um, so uh, the numbers are kind of hard to reconcile. There's a bunch of places that are mentioned at that time that didn't exist. There's even a camel that comes into the story at some point. There were no camels in that time, you know, at, at that part of the world at that time. And um, so there are just a number of things that are sort of difficult to reconcile out of the story. Uh, let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 6. So turn to the right. You go through 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. We'll go to 1 Chronicles, oh, 1 Chronicles. chapter 6. First few verses there. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Well, that's our story, and we're sticking to it. I mean, that's consistent, at least. You know, that's good. Okay. The sons of Kohath were Amram, Ezhar, Hebron, and Uziel. The children of Amram were Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. There they are. Okay, so they, it, it, it's funny that it always gives them in the order Aaron, Moses, and Miriam, but Miriam was the oldest. I mean, she was there when he was little. She was the one taking care of him and all that stuff. And... Um, so she's actually the oldest, Aaron is in the middle, Moses is the youngest, and it goes on from there. So you see what I mean? It's the same story. It keeps, keeps same names keep coming up. It doesn't seem to change over time. Uh, of course, okay, go back to Exodus chapter 2. We're jumping all over the place. Crazy. But okay. there's that sweet story in Exodus chapter 2. You remember, let's just read the first few verses of chapter 10 there. Again. Chapter 2 again. Yeah. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. Literally a daughter of Levi, right. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, <clears throat> daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. This is Miriam. See, she was older than he was, so she's old enough to stand there and watch what's going on. He's just little. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Jochebed. Right. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, 
because I drew him out of the water. Mm. Okay, and at no time, I'm just even apologize for the remark, but at no time in that story does she say, you know, how are you still able to breastfeed given that you're 154? You know, uh, it seems remarkable to me. You know, Pharaoh's daughter doesn't say anything like that. Uh, it's, it's hard, you know, I never pictured Moses' mother being like incredibly old. And yet the timeline of the story just tries to get you to either think, okay, okay, so, so Jochebed's father lived to be 137. Maybe he, maybe his wife lived that long too and, and was, was still able to have babies. And so she was a miracle baby and she was born when her father was 137, in which case she'd only be 58 at this point in the story, which is a little better than, you know, than it was going to be if she's 154. Um, but still bizarre, you know, just, just bizarre story. And it, and it never says anything about it, never talks about her age or it being miraculous or anything like that. And think about it. If people were only being born once every century or something like that, why, why would the family of Kohath already be 8,000, what do we read, 8,300 people? And the Levites would be 23,000 people. You know, it's not like they were just getting going. They, you know, the family, it takes a long time. Like uh, Moses was one of three children. If it was three children, that's 10 generations to get to 23,000 offspring. If it's four children, it's eight. If it's five children, it's seven. It's many, you know, it's more than two generations have elapsed. Uh, like you just can't, it drives you crazy. You can't get the numbers to match. You can't get it to line up. This is one little story. Luckily, it's not that terribly important. It only leads to Moses who frees all the people and is the most famous figure in the Old Testament. So it's not that it's all that important. Another little fascinating wrinkle. Go to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, takes them to Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments are given, and all these other laws. In Leviticus chapter 18... Okay. Yeah. Chapter, verse 12. You shall not uncover that. Yep. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is near of kin to your father. Yes. That means don't marry your aunt. Were you aware, friends, that Moses was, you know issuing this law, and it concerned his own parents. That's where he came from, was that type of union. And it's forbidden in the laws that he, it wasn't, now people say, oh, well, it wasn't forbidden when he was born. I mean, that's true, you know, but it's just a weird little wrinkle, you know, that that becomes a forbidden relationship. And yet that's the very kind of relationship that leads to this central figure of Moses in the Old Testament. Just what is going on? Um, yes, what is going on? Uh, let's try First Chronicles. Go back there, if you would. Chapter 23. Oh, it's just the same thing. 23, verse 12. Listen again, and it's very, very consistent. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Ezhar, Hebron, and Uziel, four in all. The sons of Amram, Aaron, and Moses. There they are. Okay. And, um, um, okay. All right. Let's look at two points in the New Testament, shall we? So go to the New Testament, go through the four Gospels, and get to Acts. I want to go to Acts chapter 7, verse 6. Obviously a reference to the Old Testament. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. 400 years. That just reinforces that 400 years figure that we saw in Genesis 15. And then turn to the right and you'll go through these Pauline epistles of Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then you should find Galatians. 
And I want to go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 17. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. Now, this is interesting because what did it say in verse 16? Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Okay, go on. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. Now, the this seems to make the 430 a different length of time. This is from the law at Mount Sinai back to the time of Abram. And yet Abram, uh, uh, it was... He went down to Egypt, and then there was 25 years until Isaac was born. Then Isaac was 60 when Jacob was born, and Jacob was 130 when he went down there. So it's 215 years, but it's not 430. It's exactly half of 430. So, you know, you go crazy. You're getting double vision. Okay, so shall we turn instead to what might be the meaning of this? You see, either it just seems like you've got a few different alternatives. Uh, some people say that it is all literally absolutely true. It's divine revelation. It's, it's absolutely literally true. What you see is what you get. Uh, that's what's on the page. The problem is, you know, centuries of scholarship cannot get a coherent chronology out of this story. You just can't do it. There's no way Jochebed can possibly be Moses' mother and Levi's daughter. It's 430 years. You can't do it. You have to monkey with one of those time periods or, one, or what daughter means or what Levi means. Like You've got to mess around with it somehow to get it. To, it just can't be the case. And yet Scripture has said over and over and over and over again, Amram and Jochebed equals Moses. You know, that's how we, and she was the daughter of Levi. Amram married his aunt, you know, his father's sister. It just says it over and over, you know, that's the story, and the Old Testament is sticking to it. So how do you get that to work? So you get the all literally true view, and that is, creates horrendous headaches. Well, and then the other point of view, which is a, a ready exit, is to say that the document is absolutely nuts, you know, it's crazy. Something horrible happened to it, and it just makes absolutely no sense. You know, in which case, there's really no point in the Bible. You're like, why bother? And, and I think there's lots of people in our times who feel like, yeah, that's, you know, that, that book is crazy. And just reject it on that basis, on this basis and many, many other bases to say, if this is supposed to be the history of the sacred people and you can't even get that right, you know, what else is wrong in the book? You know, maybe the whole book is wrong. Everything is wrong, you know? Birth of Jesus is wrong. And, you know, like, like nothing is true in the whole book. Thankfully, friends, there is, and our world isn't quite caught up in a tension between these, these two kind of boring points of view, and they can't talk to each other. I am so happy uh, that a couple of hundred years ago, this uh, Swedish guy with a wig uh, you know, was blessed by the Lord to see what was going on in here, started writing about it and telling people. And it's a very, very interesting approach. I've just never heard anything else that really touches it for explaining what's going on in Scripture. When everybody else has fallen all over themselves, this other view just, just stands up. And I'll see if I can do any justice uh, to it. I am showing, for those of you who are getting the audio, a uh, uh, visual here of this history. You have Abraham, and then a straight line going down to Isaac, straight line going down to Jacob, then a straight line going down to Levi, and Levi has older brothers of Reuben and Simon, younger brother of Judah, and there's eight other sons and one daughter, Dinah. And then Levi, a line goes down to the next generation, which is Gershon, Kohath, Merari, and Jochebed, and then a line goes down from Kohath to Amram, and lines go up on an angle because he marries his aunt Jochebed, and a line of descent comes down from there to Miriam, Aaron, and Moses. 
Okay, and something helpful here, as Swedenborg often points out, is what the names mean. Um, so, uh, Ruby and Simeon, Levi and, and Judah. I want to talk a little bit about gender in Scripture because gender is an interesting thing. Some people are familiar with Swedenborg, uh, understandably latch onto the idea that uh, males are forms of truth, females are forms of affection or love, and so on. Uh, what Swedenborg says is actually more nuanced than that. He says, if women mean love, then the men mean truth. If the women mean truth, then the men mean love. Uh, so they're complementary, but it goes either way. And you can see this from the 12 sons of Israel who mean all sort of ranges of truth and love. You know, they're, they're, all, over, they're, they're all biologically guys, and they mean every different kind of truth and love of, of every different kind. And um, so uh, it's just a thing to keep in mind. But still, in this story, I think it works to think about the uh, sons having something to do with truth and the women having something to do with love. Okay, so there's Reuben. Reuben means, as Swedenborg explains it, and we were talking about this a little bit before, that Reuben means truth. This is where your spiritual life apparently starts is by learning something. See, this whole story, I want to set it up a little bit by talking, let's start from the other end. Let's talk about who Moses is. Okay, I, isn't it fascinating? It just fascinated me today. I don't know, it just really hit me that Moses is born, and what do we read? He was put in a little container, and what was that called? Ark. It's called an ark. He was put in an ark. Then he led the children of Israel out of Egypt to the Mount Sinai and got Ten Commandments, and they put them in a box, and what was that box called, dear reader? The ark. That was an ark, yes. Moses equals the Ten Commandments. They're, they're both put in an ark. You know, the text is kind of hello, you know, trying to get our attention. And, uh, and what Moses means is Moses means our vision of the Lord in the Word. It's a time where Scripture starts to make sense and you start to see something of the Lord in it. And when that just starts in a small way, that's Moses when he's little and needs protecting and so on. But eventually that becomes a thing that takes over your life, leads you out of slavery, makes great things happen for you, you know. That's what Moses means. Because, remember what Jesus said in Luke 24, everything in the Old Testament is about him. Everything is about, that's all his story. Uh, Moses, the prophets, the, the whole thing. So Moses is part of the Jesus story in its deep layer of meaning. And it's about how we see the Lord, particularly in the Old Testament, particularly in those laws. That's the seeing of the Lord. So how? Do, so it's a very important question. It's not a trivial question, is it? If you see Moses that way, how do we get to the point where we can see the Lord in Scripture? How does Scripture turn from being just something sort of flat and wooden and bizarre or something and turn into something living? Well, you have to have Levi. Levi has to have Kohath. Kohath's sister is Jochebed. Kohath has Amram and they together produce Moses. The end. That's the story. So what am I talking about? Well, Reuben means this faith, this first sight of truth. Uh, Simeon is the idea that you're going to obey this. You know, it's like a willingness to, I'm, I'm going to hear that. His name means hearing. I'm going to hear that. Levi is the one who puts it into practice. His name means joined. That is when truth, that's when information joins action. That's what Levi's all about. And he's that first point at which you start to put what you know into practice. And lo and behold, that's where everything having to do with the Lord comes from. Until we put it into practice, there's no, there's no Moses, there's no freedom from slavery. None of that happens. So when we put it into practice, it's so interesting that Levi is the priesthood. You know, you might think of priesthood as being Oh, that's doctrinal, or that's about the study of, of truth or something. Not in this system. The, the Levites were the people who meant the doing of good. That's, you know, charity, the, the doing of good. And Judah means a kind of heavenly love that results as you practice that. So Levi, this doing of good, this has three sons. Gershon means sojourning. 
like you know you're really not home yet. You try to put this stuff into practice, but you're not really there yet. You know what I mean? Like it's a little foreign when you're trying to be kind, even though you don't feel kind or, or what, you know, you're just trying to do good. You're trying to get on the horse and get it going. But, but it's a sojourning feeling. Kohath, though, and I want to talk about Merari. Merari means uh, bitter. That's interesting. There's a bitterness uh, in, in, in doing this. It's, it's interesting that it doesn't necessarily feel great, like right out of the starting gate, to put others ahead of yourself or, you know, to be loving and kind. Kohath, who's in the middle, he means assembly, gathering, sorting. Even if you look in the Hebrew uh, dictionary, it'll say investigation. It's fascinating. Kohath, so you start, to, you start to practice it in your life. And what is born are two things. One is Kohath. Kohath is like, you see, you may have a jumble of facts in your head. All kinds, of, you read this and you read that, and I don't know if that's true, and I know this doesn't make sense. And you're just loading stuff into your head all your life. Religious information and whatever, just knowledge about life. Kohath is where it starts to get assembled, where as you're actually practicing things for others, you start to realize, oh, yeah, compassion is more, that trumps this. That's more important than this. Okay, this, and it starts to organize it. So Kohath is where that truth side, the knowledge, gets all organized. Jochebed who is female, I would submit here, her name means God's is the glory. And she is not born until you start practicing it. Up until then, you might feel, you know, pretty great about yourself. But as you start to practice this, you realize, boy, I'm not very good at this. This is kind of bitter. I'm just sojourning here. But God is really glorious. I can see it. Because you know how it is, friends, when sometimes you just do some dumb little thing, you remember that it was so-and-so's you know, birthday or whatever, you do some dumb little thing, and then it means so much to them. And you have to say to yourself, God is glorious. Like, I just did a dumb little thing. You know, I sent an email or something, uh, but the Lord moved. God is glorious. That's a response of the heart. She's God is glorious. He, Kohath, is... Um, this assembly and gathering together. So who is Amram? Amram is the people is exalted. And if you're familiar with Swedenborg's system, the people mean the truths and the nations mean the, uh, you know, love, different kinds of loves and affections and that kind of thing. And so the people is exalted. It, not only did you gather these things together with Kohath, but they had to be lifted up, like the truth that you know got lifted up to a higher level. There's no need for Jochebed to have another, like the heart is already there. God is glorious. That's all you need to have Moses. To give birth to Moses, all you need is like, hey, God is it. God is amazing. You know, that's what your heart is feeling. But you need two generations on the side of your mind. You need to have this gathering together that goes on, and then the whole thing needs to be lifted up to serve a higher purpose. You realize, oh, wait, truth is much more. There's something higher than I saw. And when those two, when truth is something higher and God is glorious get together, that's when the Lord is born. That's when Moses is set in that ark, you know, and protect. That's when the Lord, that's when you start to realize that what is being taught to you in scripture is more uh, than meets the eye. That's when you start to realize there's something of the Lord in this and that realization starts to grow and grow. It's gradual. It's 80 years before Moses comes back and leads the children of Israel out, which is 40 years means a time of spiritual crisis. That's two whole sets of spiritual crises, you know, uh, before the Lord starts to set you free. Uh, but he's on the way. He's coming now. So that's why Amram has to marry his aunt. You don't need more than one level of Jochebed to get from Levi. This is coming directly down, and they're both descended. That's why he marries his aunt. They're both descended from the doing of good. When we're doing good, our heart has a response, our mind has a response, you know? And our mind goes through two levels, and our heart goes through one, and we get there. It reminds me of something I heard years ago, and... Um, uh, I, I, I don't th think it's relevant, and it's probably not true, so I'll say it. 
Um, the, uh, I heard about that they took a bunch of men and they took a bunch of women and they gave them a certain task and brainstormed about how to solve this task. And the men came up with 19 ways to solve it, one of which actually turned out to be viable. And the women came out with three ways to solve it, all of which were viable. Uh, it just seems related to the fact that Jacobet, you don't need more than one generation with Jacobet. Like the mind has to go through more than the heart does to get there somehow, you know? All she needs is like, hey, God is great. In fact, in the whole Old Testament, they'll say that her, her name, Jacobet, actually that J-O has a J-A-H, that's like Jehovah. She's the first person in the Old Testament who has that. So many names after this, Jehoshaphat and Joshua and everybody in the world, is named for Jah or Jehovah. She's the first one in the whole scripture. She's the first one who has that divine love embedded, that the beingness of the universe embedded right in her name. Jah, Cheved, is, is, uh, is glorious, you know. Um, I, I just think that's a, a cool little, little detail. And um, so that's where Moses comes from. He comes from this interesting relationship. So to me, that way of, of reading is very rich. Uh, and I don't know how to put it into words, friends, but isn't that precisely what we're trying to do now? Aren't we doing at this very hour, aren't we trying to have Moses? Aren't we trying to see that there's something higher in the pages of Scripture. And don't we have to swim through and gather all these things? Doesn't Bible study always have a, oh, we go here, and that's puzzling, and oh, this is baffling, and we look at that Scripture, and oh, we do our Kohath thing, you know? You get all that stuff, and you try to assemble it together, and, and you just got all this gathering, but you wonder, like, what is going on? This doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. And then, oh, then Amram is born at some point during the thing, hopefully, uh, where you get, oh, no, wait, the truth is exalted. There's something higher here than the math. There's something higher than the timeline. There's something higher than, like, who cares? I don't care. I don't care if she was 150 or whatever, 350. I don't care, you know. But it is of great importance how the Lord is born in our lives. You know, that's an intensely personal thing. So when you start to see that, well, we got Moses. He, there, there he is, you know. And it's the nature of the word. I can't even put it into words. But it's the nature of Scripture that it's about Scripture. This is a story about your relationship with Scripture. When you first introduce it, I wanted to make a joke about Amram and Joke, about a famous story about Amram and Joke. You know, like, who, I've, you know, I don't remember anything about them. I don't, don't remember a thing about it. You know, it was all news to me when I was looking at it. Really? What? What? I don't know. What? But this thing of some exalted truth and some exalted state of the heart where you start to see the Lord in the pages of Scripture, I mean, that, that's the whole thing. That's the, that's the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. You know, that's the, that's the second coming right there, uh, the Lord coming, becoming visible in the pages of Scripture. And once you start to see that a few times, it starts to take, at first, it's just the tiniest little thing. It's a little vulnerable, little, little thing. Just hidden away, you know, stick them in a drawer at home or something and keep them away from the bad guys and everything. Uh, but that thing grows and grows and grows in strength and eventually takes over our whole life and leads us out of hell. This shows you. This is the way. Come on. It's going to be an interesting journey. Come with me. Let's, let's, let's go. Let's go out there and takes us out to somewhere where we get the Ten Commandments, which are then put in an ark and become the center of their life. Because you realize, oh, in the Ten Commandments, which Moses most directly means, they mean they are the presence of the Lord. That's why they're at the center. Uh, Jehovah would literally communicate with people from the two cherubs that were over the Ark of the Covenant. You know, that's where his, his voice would come from, from right there. That's the core. That was the heart of their religious life. That's how the Lord speaks to us uh, through those. And it's Moses who brings us to see that, who takes us through the process of repentance and everything 
and leads us on to that next level. Um, other than that, I don't have much to say about timelines. Um, uh, the, the, the time and space is really not so important. Scripture is serving a higher truth. It is desperate to communicate, to reach out to us and to communicate some kind of higher truth. Now, this thing has been locked up. I mean, you couldn't get much more secure. Talk about Moses being in the bulrushes. This story was locked away where, whoa, Amram, Jochebed, and who's how many, 430 what, and people went where, and that place name, and there was a camel, and, you know, it, it, it was, there was a bunch of bulrushes, and it was locked away. But the Lord gave Swedenborg a key. Swedenborg passed it on to us. There's a way that we can understand this where even this bizarre genealogy and this bizarre story that makes no timeline sense turns into a very sacred thing about how the Lord can be born in our lives. So scholars have turned inside out to establish a coherent chronology in the Bible, but it simply cannot be done. So if it's not about a chronology, what is it about? It's all about the Lord being born in our lives. Thank you, good friends. Shall we close with a prayer? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, just a glimpse of your compassion, of your truth, of your presence in the Word. You are the Word made flesh. Just a glimpse of you is what our souls hunger for, Lord. We want to see you and we want to know you. Please encourage us in our reading of Scripture. And please, Lord, we pray for a greater love for your word. Help us to keep this book alive. What it has in it is so important. Please help us, Lord, to keep this book alive and tell others how meaningful it is that there's nothing short of you and your life, your love and your wisdom hidden in the pages of this book. Our Father who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so we can see that baby Moses being born. <laughs>